So our last week of the parable of the sower, and many of you are going, thank goodness we finally had enough abuse, <laughs> had a hard enough week without coming here and getting abused, but hey, I got good news. I got good news for some of you. No, just it's good news for all of us, but the problem is somebody, some of you are going to do anything with it, okay? That's the problem, right? It's good news for everybody. It's good news for everybody. But it's what you do with it. It's how you measure it. If I understand Jesus, listen, he says, and how you measure it, what you do with it. I'm excited about this morning. But as we look at the parable of the sower, we see the first three dirts. We see the unteachable heart or the heart that doesn't want to know the truth. Now, I want you to just remind you, and I'll touch base a little later. We all three, we all can go in and out of all four of these dirts, okay? No matter where we are along the way. But the first one is an unteachable heart. Just don't want to know the truth. No matter what it is, I don't want to know it. Second is an unsurrendered heart. The word says they receive it with joy. Jesus, Jesus' words. Jesus said they receive it with joy. But then the trials of life and persecution come along And it withers and dies. Matter of fact, when the roots go down, it hits the hard surface almost immediately. So it's just shallow soil. The third, which is probably the biggest challenge for many, the church in America and as Christians, or is the unfaithful heart. The other two we kind of know, okay, unsurrendered heart, uh, they kind of go receive it with joy, but then I'm out of it. I really don't know where I am. I really don't care. I've kind of become indifferent. The unteachable heart really didn't care anyway. They're, they're, they're hard. They're, their heart is hard. So they, but number three, it's a little different because I believe number three has maybe potentially for sure had a relationship with Christ. But it gets very, very fuzzy, right? And Jesus uses the term here, thorns. The thorns come along and choke it out. As we shared last week, thorns, and we should, the picture of Jesus... It, didn't, it wasn't the crown of weeds, right? It was the crown of thorns. It was sin. It represented sin, our sin. So when Jesus says in dirt number three, the unfaithful heart, he's saying the thorns of life, not just simple distractions. All the distractions of life, I, you know, I follow Jesus, sometimes I don't. I'm pretty busy, you know. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying sin. Sin. Things that may have even been good and right, you've allowed to become wrong. Come along and choke it out, and it withers and dies, and the word says it is unfruitful. You take it up with Jesus. 
You said that was going to be good news. Let's go. We're going to read out of the message this morning. Some of you have uh, have read out of the message. I do a lot of my devotional time out of the message. It's just I just like it a little better. It's a paraphrase Eugene Peterson wrote many, many years ago. But I like today as we conclude this, kind of conclude this series, if you will, to read out of this because I think maybe it helps some of you a little more. I don't know. And you can look at it in Martin, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Luke. All the, pat, the, 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 the story is there. But I'm going to read it out of the message this morning. Here we go. We're going to go 14 through uh, 20 at this point. The farmer plants the word. Some people are like the seed that falls on the hardened soil on the ground. No sooner do they hear the word than Satan snatches away what has been planted in them. And some are like the seed that lands in the gravel. When they first hear the word, they respond with great enthusiasm. But there is such shallow soil of character that when the emotions wear off, that was interesting. So when the emotions wear off and some difficulty arrives, there's nothing to show for it. The seed cast in the weeds or thorns is literally what the translation there represents the ones who hear the kingdom news but are overwhelmed with worries about all the things they have to do and all the things they want to get. The stress strangles what they heard and nothing comes of it. But the seed planted in the good earth represents those who hear the word, embrace it, and produce a harvest beyond their wildest dreams. Let me read that again. But the seed planted in the good earth Represents those who hear the word, embrace it, and produce a harvest beyond their wildest dreams. 30, 60, 100 yield. Those numbers, as Jesus would have been sharing this, as he's using again something familiar to teach an unfamiliar or a deeper truth. Here he is with the people teaching about the harvest. When the people were hearing this, these numbers would have blown them away because the average crop yield would have been about 10 to 1. But here they are hearing these numbers and they're going, whoa, that's way beyond anything I ever would have imagined. So it's not just like, a, oh yeah, I know what that means. No, no, this is, you just went beyond what I would have understood. So you're saying 30, 60, 100 yield? Dirt number four, I would call dirt number four the unrestrained heart. The unrestrained, not unteachable, not unsurrendered, not unfaithful, but unrestrained. So many times we think becoming a Christian constrains us. I'm telling you today, it gives you freedom. It unrestrains you. You've been in bondage up to this point. You just don't know it. But coming to Christ and allowing him to begin to work in your life begins to free you up. up. It begins to allow you to be unchecked in many ways. And I don't mean that from a rebellious sense. I mean that from God now begins to expand your territory. And you get to go do things and be a part of things you never could have done before. Because being a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, and you've heard me say this over and over, gives you eyes to see what you couldn't see before. Gives you ears to hear what you could have never heard before. Gives you a tongue to speak what you had never spoken before. Gives you hands to do what you had never put your hands to before. It allows your feet to go to places you would have never dared go before. Right. To be born again. 
by the Spirit. The other phrase I would have could have used here is, but it didn't have an un to it, so I had to go a different route. Is it dirt number four is fully awakened? Is fully awakened to a whole new world. And unleashed on a world that so desperately needs the hope of Christ. Fully awakened. Where does this fall in our five C's? I'm sure this is a burning question for you. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I'm not goofball enough to believe you've been thinking about that, but... But guess who has been? Jesus. No, don't it. Just me. Me. With the five C's. I'd say dirt number four definitely has some three middle C in it. But I'll tell you where I'm convinced they live is in the fourth circle and the fifth circle. They are looking at their lives going... This is unacceptable, what's going on in my life. Not from a condemnation standpoint, but going a purity of desire and hunger and thirsting after righteousness standpoint. There's a stirring. There's an awakening. They're they're allowing the, the word to land in their life. They're allowing God to use people and circumstance to land in their life to stir them, to awaken them. And they've got an intentionality about them which will move, I know, to the next one, where they are engaged. Whatever God is bringing their way, they're engaging it. They're stepping into it. And the compelled, (laughs) remember the ladder I used last week? What happens when you follow, I believe when you follow after Christ and you're willing to continue to climb that crisis of belief ladder, if you will, where you're stretched, what does it do? It gets narrower, doesn't it? It becomes more focused. The stepladder becomes more and more focused. And then you become very intentional where the things that don't line up with where you're headed don't get in. Let me say that again. Some of you, even your dating life, you need to be compelled by the love of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians, I think it's 5.14. It's 2 Corinthians, for, the, for Christ's love compels me. And in the context here where the word compel is used here, it means to powerfully urge, but not forced. Think about that. You're powerfully urged, but you're not forced. I love Jan. I do things for Jan, not because she forces me to, but because I've got a powerful urge to want to please her. Not for her love, because she already loves me. It's because of her love that I am compelled. I don't do it to gain her love. I do it because of her love. That this love is so immense, it demands a response as complete and radical as his love for us, even though we can never reach that level because he is who he is. But it should cause us to want to love him. That means we love others because of his love for us. 
The com- go back to the 5C. Where did it go? And God begins to stir this holy discontent in you. That you've got to make a difference in this world. You've got to do something. And he's going to show you. Like I said last week, God is two things. It's not a fragile salvation. In other words, God's not just hiding things from you so you'll wonder whether you're saved. No, he wants you to drive a stake deep. But also his calling on your life is not a secret either. He wants you to know. He wants to reveal his gifts and graces. He wants to reveal those things. That's what he wants for you. And he will stir this up in you. Now, I'm not saying you're going to go out and, 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 and even start a church or go out and do it. It just may be in the world God has planted you where you're engaged and influential. He has a great purpose for you. And he will gift you. And the last one is, I think the compelled reach a point where they're going, not on my watch. Got any parents in here? They could truly say something happens in you. And not, not, I know everybody in here is not a parent. I don't mean it. I'm not trying to say that as a, as a, hey, you need to know what this means. But as a parent, there are certain things about your children. You're going, not on my watch. They ain't happening on my watch. You try to step into it. You try to make sure you, you're that protection. You're trying to take that, that role on. And this compelled part of it. I mean, if they're running into a street, you're so compelled to save them, you're willing to die for them, to throw them out of the way to take the hit. If they're sick, and some of you have had children who are sick, and, and some who have even died, you would have put yourself in that place if you could have. You just would have. Small example, years ago, I was uh, 1988, Jan and I were building our first house in Hooks, Texas, and, and uh, I was working at Alumax. Uh, we were living with our in-laws because we tried to save a little money and not pay rent. We were, Allie, Jan was pregnant with Allie. We we're trying to build this house, and it kept getting stalled, and I talked to our general contractor, Johnny, and I'd go up to Johnny, and we'd, I'd show up, and I mean, I'd get there Sometimes 7, 7.30 at night. Or I'd call him. I said, hey, I need to meet you tomorrow. Because I was working 12-hour shifts at Alumax. Running the mill. And then uh, uh, running the, the aluminum mill. And one day, I, it just kept showing up. And we never could get anything moving. The bricklayer wouldn't show up. Or this guy wouldn't show up. But it just kept going on and on and on. And we couldn't get moving. So I showed up one day. And I said, Johnny, what's the deal here? I said, Somebody, something needs to happen. And that's what Johnny told me. He said, Kurt, you don't know what it's like out here in the real world. That in the real world, you know, people don't show up. You can ask them and ask them, and they just don't show up. This is just the real world. You don't know what that's like. And I said, you know what, Johnny? In the real world where I live, at IMAX and other places I've worked, at Texas Instruments, if you don't show up, you get fired. Johnny, you're fired. And I fired him. Right down the spot. I'd built some fence and a part of a barn one time. <laughs> I worked on cars, but I didn't have any idea what to do building a house. Except I go buy the plans. And you couldn't YouTube, how do you build a house? <laughs> <laughs> and you couldn't get on Angie's list and try to hire the right people. <laughs> 
But what I knew was the responsibility was resting on me. I had to get it done. I worked 12 hour shifts at IMAX. As soon as I got off, I worked at 2, 2.30 in the morning on that house. We did this for months. Finally got the right guy to come in and help us to finish it off as a contractor. And he was awesome and helped us get it past the finish line. All I knew was I was not going to let my family down. What I knew was what was at stake. And what I knew was that responsibility was resting on me to step into it. And so I grasped it and ran with it. What I'm going to do today is maybe share with you, hopefully briefly, that I believe that this church is on my watch. What I believe is at stake. I just want to share with you how I think it works in the real world. I'm not going to fire any of you. <laughs> Thought about it, but because I've been fired enough over the last seven years, Pastor, we just can't go there anymore. You've disappointed us. When do I get to write that email? I think I better get back to my notes. <laughs> yeah, that disappointment goes both ways. Just want you to know. Okay, okay, I'll shut up. Jan's back there cringing. Please don't say anybody's name. <laughs> uh. You know, dirt number two and dirt number three, as I said earlier, have this challenge. And they have a challenge that's maybe caused more debate through the history of theologians debating. And it's this question. What is the minimal entrance requirement to be saved? What is the least I can do to be saved? Seems to be the wrong question. Kind of like me asking Jan, what is the minimal requirement for me to be married to you? (laughs) Right? You'd say, well, you're an idiot for asking that. And you know why? Because I would be. (laughs) You know, people used to, especially coming from the South and a lot of our, our, our friends who would want to come to the Nazarene church, they'd tell me, they'd go, uh, First, they would say, I I might join your church, but I'm not going to give up my once saved, always saved. Then they'd ask the question, do you believe a person can lose your salvation? I said, why do you even ask that question? Well, why do you ask the question? Who worries about that? Who worries about that? (laughs) When you're chasing after him. Why would that even ever cross your mind? Why would that be the first requirement you had? join a church it's like people tell me they can live together and know exactly what it means to be married and I just want to laugh <laughs> no because you can walk out in your time or the worst no not the worst one that's the worst one but the other one is people tell me we're just going to get a dog to kind of see how it is to raise kids <laughs> ah are you kidding me <laughs> I know people who've taken the dogs back. 
You can't do that with your kid. You're stuck. <laughs> and matter of fact, you can have a dog die. Oh, yeah, that's right, Jeff. I hate that. You can have a dog die and talk about it kindly and just go get another one. It's not the same. And I know you love your dogs. God bless you. But it ain't the same. It's just not the same. Attending church on occasion, nodding towards God, and saying it's the same thing as somebody who's full-blown follower of Jesus Christ, it's not the same. You need to be all in. Is this making any sense? Is it good news? You go, eh, well, no, no, no. <laughs> I love what Dallas Willard says. It says in the right question. He said, many people think of Jesus as our Savior, as the one who will get us into heaven. So the question often is, have I accepted Jesus as my Savior? But we never ask the question, have I accepted him as my teacher? I don't know if you know this, the New Testament was written by disciples, about disciples, for disciples. It was written about disciples, by disciples, for disciples. Not for merely interested, but for disciples. So the real question then becomes... I believe, and, I, and Willard goes on to say, and I don't have it up on there, but just listen, please. He said, they began, the disciples began by accepting him as their teacher, then accepting him as their savior. That was interesting. Which included, of course, their eternal destiny, because there was an outflow of it. But they started with Jesus as their teacher because we all have to learn how to live. Let's soak in just a second. Obviously, he is our Savior. And don't hear what I'm not saying this morning. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. But Jesus says, if you love me, if you love me, you'll do what I ask. He says, come follow me. If you had a, the, only the Bible to follow, you know how many different ways people get saved in the New Testament? It's pretty amazing. Oh, yeah, it's Jesus, ultimately. But how? If you only had the Bible to use. <laughs> Written by disciples, about disciples, for disciples. Mark 4, 24, we've been reading over the last many weeks. Jesus says, listen. If you have ears to hear, hear. 
The way you hear it, the way you measure it, is how you, how you respond to it, is how it works in your life. I'm going to say this. God is not measuring it for you. You are measuring it for you. Yeah, he is who he is sovereign, but he gives us free will. It's that tension we talk about. It's both. It's what you do with it. Luke 8, 15, and this is writing this about the same teaching of Jesus. Luke writes it this way, but the seed sown on but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. Who hear the word, retain it. And by its by persevering, produce a crop. By persevering, produce a crop. I don't have the slide up here, so you can do with it what you wish. I'm going to give you three thoughts I have around this. And you're saying, I thought we were at the end of the message. Well, we're not. But I hopefully this will help. The first one is this. The good soul hears the word and accepts it. These are going to be simple. They hear the word and accept it. You go, well, that's, that's just elementary, is it? The interpretation in the Greek for this is that not only does the good soil hear the word and grasp what it has to say, but it literally means they keep on hearing it. Meaning a continuous listening and applying. They don't just hear it. They are continuously hearing it and applying it. It's both. And there's no doubt. There are times when I read the word. And I think. I don't like that. Or I don't agree with that. That's not how my world works. But then, if the soil is fertile, if it is, the Spirit starts working on my thinking. And I begin to change my worldview to match His worldview. Now, for myself over the years, I've had to change my views, not only based on what, how God's word is, what his word is saying, I had to base it on that, not on what I want it to say. We all come to the table with preconceived ideas, but we've got to allow the spirit to tell us and show us what does it say? then I have a choice at that point to do what? Accept it. Because a lot of times you hear it. Oh, a lot of times you hear it. You know it. You know it. It's convicting. You know it in that moment. But there is a difference between hearing it and accepting it. And applying it. Those are different. You, sometimes you, some of you think because you were stirred that God made you aware of something. That's the same thing as applying it. It's like me collecting all those Hank Haney golf training videos that I get every day and I keep putting it in a file. I've never looked at one of them to teach me anything, but I keep getting them 
because I think that would make me a great golfer. I got them over here in this little file on my Gmail, just in case someday I want to apply it. I'll have it. Can't be banking them like that. Some of you may say, uh, I believe that the Bible is the inspired, authoritative word of God. Okay? But one day you read in Acts 20, 35, where the Apostle Paul quotes Jesus as, It is more blessed to give than to receive, yet you're not a person who is generous or wants to be generous. Then the question becomes, do I really believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God? You know what it said. Or you read in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Amen, everybody. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he was committed to the message of, there he is again, of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. Do you get that? Do you grasp that part of it? You need, to, you need to circle that. You need to stamp that. Somewhere. You need to get a tattoo if you get tattoos. Something. And, and have that so ingrained in you. Don't go get a tattoo. My pastor said I could get a tattoo. That is not what I said. I'm just saying if you get them, get something like this. Instead of a girlfriend that you won't even know a year from now. Whatever. It ain't going to look good later on just so you know. I mean, you can get all the tattoos you want. I don't care. Just don't tell me the story behind them. Okay. I need to stop again. Okay. We implore you. Think about that. I'm begging you. I don't. I think implore is like, if there was any way I could think of another word that would mean more to this, like I'm trying to drag you into this, I would try to think it up, but I don't know what it is. Implore is about as best I can do. On Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me say this to you. If I read that passage of Scripture, that we are chosen people who've been given the ministry of reconciliation. But I, do, I have people in my life that I have refused to go get reconciled to. Now, you may have done your part. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about where you've refused and you've cut it off and you say, no, it's on me. I realize it's on me. But We talked about it last week. You can't find anywhere in Scripture where drunkenness is good. But we try to we read through it and we go, oh well. I mean, there's just different things we all and I work through it too. I want to read it and apply it. James says in one twenty two, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Otherwise, you are deceiving yourself. A new creation. Are you different? Or do you still look the same? 
When was the last time you sacrificed yourself for the good of others and nobody else knew about it? You got no recognition for it. Because of who you are and what God is making you. The second one is, they embrace it wholeheartedly. The good soil embraces the word wholeheartedly. Think about embrace. The translation, just to hug it. Man, have you ever thought about that? Have you seen somebody that, that, man, that, that you haven't seen in a long time? And man, you just love them. Man, you just hug them. You embrace them. And you do it wholeheartedly. That's what it's talking about. Wholeheartedly means choosing a path. And through all the trials and everything else, you persevere. You stay with it wholeheartedly. And if we're honest, at times, even the most faithful followers of Christ, our lives are a blended response to God. Right? I mean, mine is. Maybe I'm the only one here admitting this, or maybe I'm the only one that happens. There are times I have a little bit of an unteachable, hard-headed heart. There are times I'm unsurrendered, and I receive it with joy for a minute, but I don't really want to live and lean into that too much. Or there are times I may allow sin, the thorn. But man, I don't want to live there long, and I'm praying, God, if you, if you see any of that in me, check me. I want to live as fertile soil. I want to get there as consistent and as quick as I can get there, that I can, that through me, your light can shine. I want to be a fruit bearer. You know, I look in the Old Testament, maybe you've heard me preach the sermon on Caleb, uh, and, and, but he followed after God wholeheartedly. After Israel came out of Egypt, the 12 spies were sent into the promised land, and here's the report. Ten measured it to be impossible. Two measured it differently. They said, we were able to take the land. The ten said, I know there are grapes there, but did you see the size of those giants? Joshua and Caleb said, I know there are giants, but did you see the size of those grapes? Both sides measured it differently, right? The way you measure it is the way that you're going to use it. And Caleb, 45 years later, says, give me my mountain. He said, I have the same vigor today as I had 45 years ago when you stuck me with those knuckleheads. Give me my mountains, and not just any mountains. I want the mountains where the giants are. When you follow God wholeheartedly, Paul says in Philippians 3.13, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul was determined to do one thing and one thing only, follow after Christ wholeheartedly. And the third one is bear fruit. Bear fruit. And Jesus Christ not only exemplified the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We look at in Galatians 2.21. You can go back and see where he exemplified every one of them. 
But he made it possible for us to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. John 15 says, abide in me and I expect fruit to come out of it. Abide in me. Mark 12, for the tree is known by its fruit. To be a Christian is to bear fruit. You have this other life. I don't know how to say exactly the way to say it. I love what 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says. We have this other life living within us. And he says, we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as human words, but as, but that is, as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. It's at work in you. It's alive. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It splits bone from marrow, Hebrews said. It's alive in you. And it wants to multiply. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. I'm giving you a lot of scripture, but I figure I can't go wrong with that. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly. So in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's good word right there for some of you today. It's at work in us. I can tell you today what it's like to sow bad things and reap the harvest of those bad things. I don't know if any of you can, but I know what it's like. And the law of reproduction says you reap what you sow, but the law, God's math, is the principle of multiplication. Good or bad, <laughs> you can reap a lot more than you sowed, sometimes bad. But man alive, can you for the good? Because when a farmer plants one kernel of corn, he knows he doesn't just get one kernel back. A single seed or a single kernel of corn can produce a plant which yields more than 600 kernels on two ears. John 12, 24. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. You know, Matthew 28, 19. The word says to go into all the world and make converts, attendees, merely interested people. It says to go into all the world and make disciples. To bear fruit. Jeremiah 17, 5, 8 says, This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man and draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands that will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. 
But blessed is the one who trusts the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It never worries in a year of drought. And it never, ever, ever bears to bear fruit. Fails to bear fruit. Folks, I'm telling you, even in your darkest days, God's doing something. If your roots can go deep. But if your roots are not very deep, the first storm that comes is you're going to get blown over. I wish there was some way today. I've done the best I know how. To say to you that there is so much more than just trying to figure out how you get to heaven. Becoming a disciple of Christ is so much different. A few weeks ago, I was out hiking with Cameron, Macy, and Tori. And we got up to South Mountain. We go ahead and show the picture if it's up there. I don't know. But there's another place that's a little, little further around. But took this last night. By the way, there's beautiful. It's beautiful out west. I'm mean, about east of here if you hadn't looked. And all the mountains of snow on them. But we were up there and, and Macy goes. She, we kind of turned a corner and Macy goes. She's riding on my shoulder. She goes, wow. Look at that view. It's beautiful. And she said to Cameron, Cameron, Toey. She goes, Tori, Toey. said, Toey, look at the view. And Cameron turned around and she goes, is that all Arizona? And I said, no, there's so much more. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. And to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within you. Craig O'Shea says, your brain cannot comprehend what God is capable of doing through you. The question is, which dirt are you most like this morning? Are you the unteachable heart? The unsurrendered heart? The unfaithful heart? The unrestrained and fully awakened heart? I believe this long before you're aware of it. I know it happened in my life. God is up to something in your life. He's moving circumstances or people or the word. He's drawing you. He's wooing you. I can't do it. Only he can do it. But he's up to something. I think he's up to every person on the face of this earth. He's wooing in some way. And I don't know why at 16 years old and for 10 years I hardened my, the dirt. All I know is that God came back 10 years later and somehow another found fertile soil. Because he kept, I don't know what all it was. Because I was so hard for so long. So I believe no matter how far you've run, no matter what you've done, the soil can be fertile. But it's up to you to allow it to penetrate. Dallas Willard says about disciples, with this, Josiah, you guys can come on up as we close. Disciples are those who have been so ravished with Christ that others want to be like them. We call that around here influencers. 
uncommon. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of that unleashes disciples, unrestrained, fruit-bearing disciples on a community that so desperately needs it. I believe that's why we've been put here. It's the reason why Jan and I have stayed in Arizona for the last 20-something years. Jan saw a vision in the middle of the night in, in West Texas when we came out to interview in October 1997, a fire in the West. And God spoke to her as we were driving in the middle of West Texas. And, of course, there's nothing to look at there. So uh, that's the reason why God put oil there so some people would move there. No, but really. Saw the fire. Said the Holy Spirit just spoke to her, said there's fire in the West. There's a revival going to happen in the West. Jen and I have tried to leave here. We've begged to leave here over the years. We really have. But he wouldn't allow us to because we haven't seen the fire yet. I am going to be a part of a church I, I am. You can decide what you want to do. I'm determined to be a part of a church where the fire is burning away the chaff. A clean hand, pure heart is a common conversation, not from an arrogant, self-righteous standpoint, but because of just the outflow of what God is doing in people's lives. And it starts with Jesus. And it starts asking him to be your teacher. Some of us just want to try to get to heaven first. Like me, I was just trying to stay out of hell. But then I began to ask him to teach me his ways. And he changed everything. To hear and accept it. To embrace it wholeheartedly. To begin to bear fruit. Third number four. To be fully awakened. Would you stand? I love this Mark Batterson statement. For some of you, you're one decision away. One defining decision away from a totally different life. One defining decision can change trajectory and put you on a new path towards the promised land. One defining decision can totally change the forecast of your life. And that's those defining decisions that become the defining moments of your life. the end of the series and I know I've gone way too long today but I'm alright with it I'm just alright with it I know there comes a point where I could talk the rest of the afternoon I I could and just try to share with you man just, just come on allow him to do the work that only he can do that changes you that, that puts you on a path that you never could have imagined And don't settle for something artificial. But only he can do what only he can do. So as Josiah and him will lead us here in just a moment. Before we go eat together. I'm going to ask you to consider coming down this aisle this morning. making that decision to go I don't know what all it means and I may have been following Christ a long time but it is time it is time to fully 
surrender and let him take off the straps that I've allowed to be bonded to my life. Lord, help us right now as we close that this will be used for your glory and its only purpose is that. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you feel led this morning, please come.